Hi, I'm Ian, co-founder of Dig Insights and president of Dig's Innovation Insights platform, Upside. Welcome to Dig In. Dig In is the place to stay up to date on what's happening in the world of innovation, research, and technology, to find inspiration from today's business and innovation leaders, and to properly dig into hot topics that matter for consumer brands right now. And when applicable, we'll bring our own research to that conversation. Welcome to Dig In. I'm Paul Gadet, CEO of Dig Insights. We have a great episode today talking about some of market activity, industry trends, and really what it means for the future of market research. I'm joined by two very knowledgeable and insightful guests, Seema Vasa, CEO and co-founder of Infinity Square Ventures and host of the podcast Data Gurus, and who I've previously interviewed on Dig In, and Lexia Schwartz, director of Canaccord. Genuity, a full-service investment banking and financial services company. Honestly, the most in-touch and knowledgeable investment banker when it comes to transactions and activity in the market research and related industry space. Thank you both, Lexia and Seema, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Uh, okay, I'm going to kick right off. Lexia, I'm going right into it. In the last uh, industry news segment, I actually chatted to Mike Stevens of Insight Platforms. And about some of the recent activity, M&As uh, that were happening in the industry, uh, we talked about Confirm It and Focus uh, Vision merging and forming the company Forsta. We talked about Cantar spending over a billion dollars buying Numerator. You got a great perspective on this as well. What are you seeing from your investment side and what themes are you noticing when it comes to some of those recent and maybe even potential transactions <clears throat> that's happening in our space or even some of the adjacent spaces? Yeah, great question. And Paul, thanks again for, for having me on today. Um, I'd say, you know, first and foremost, we remain extremely encouraged um, by the financial investment and the strategic activity across the broader beta, you know, information and insight space. Um, the macro landscape continues to kind of be reshaped, you know, regularly across regulatory, privacy, um, and overwhelming growth in just digital and e-commerce uh, on the whole. And it's kind of created this imperative need to understand consumer behavior um, and be able to anticipate those behaviors before you know, they're even occurring. Um, and kind of with that, we've seen that the barriers around data um, are just continuing to rise, right? And so you know, it's brought market research um, kind of back to the forefront because market research has always been very grounded in incentivizing and engaging with consumers in a very transparent, um, way and one that has incentivized the consumer to kind of transfer their data or their value of data um, in exchange for something else. We think that companies that have built a thesis around that type of, you know, better experience or better technology or rewards or incentives or giving back to the consumer in a way um, that, you know, brings value to their day and their transaction experience is where they're going to unlock the most data. Um, and, you know, companies that we've worked with and have had the privilege to work with, you know, they're continuously looking for 360 degree views of the consumer. Mm -hmm. um, and to do that, they're starting to stitch different data sources. Um, and like I said, to kind of understand the before, the during and the after. Um, and a lot of that, uh, you know, validation and attribution is starting to come from transaction and purchase data. Um, and it's kind of that critical link between in-store and online and again, validating that what you expected to happen actually did and how and where it happened. Um, I think that coupled with overwhelming demand for e-commerce data are, are two trends that we're consistently seeing. And kind of the third pillar to that is, you know, behavioral data, right? I think a lot of what we're seeing, particularly on the heels of 2020, 
is that implicit research and behavioral understanding of the human condition and the social impact and purpose that brands can bring are at the forefront. So when you're kind of coupling, you know, data sets of transaction, behavioral um, reported or survey data, it's creating that 360 view that, you know, I, I started talking about. Um, you mentioned some of the really big notable MR transactions in this space, but there's a couple of others that I think are interesting because they bring different angles and they're different strategics um, that, you know, are, are in the space um, as well. So, you know, thinking about Cardlytics acquiring Bridge, which is skew level data, really understanding what the basket is comprised of, getting to that next level. Um, and their approach, they also acquired an application called Doge, which I think is interesting as well in terms of incentivizing the consumer and creating that valuable relationship. YouGov obviously acquired Lean, which again is another way to get to that type of transaction data and also to you know, interact and engage with the consumer. Um, and a couple other ones that I thought have been interesting um, are in-market's acquisition of Nine Decimal and Keyring and also Goldman's investment in Stack Commerce which again, just rounds out the view of, of the commerce data really driving to the forefront and engaging the consumer to uncover that data um, you know, in a highly transparent, opt-in, privacy-focused world. That's awesome. And, you know, I, I, so there's a couple of things that really you know, struck me there, which have historically been um, the things that market research has really been known for. So measuring attitudes, getting perspectives, understanding the consumer. And even when we started our company you know, about 11 years ago, uh, there was a big shift for us to even start, you know, experimental designs, understanding consumer behaviors and how that actually linked to purchase behaviors. But it sounds like there's a lot more emphasis being placed on that assurance, that validation, those linking it directly to that transaction uh, so that there is some, some form of validation across those, those purchases. And that's creating a lot of value in the, in the industry. And, you know, Seema, similar to, to Alexia, you work in the investment side of the industry with Oberon Securities. You've also have a, a leading podcast. I've uh, been able to chat with industry leaders um, about what's happening in the market research and analytics space. And so similar to what you know, Lexi was mentioning about these you know, transactional behavioral uh, data you know, purchases or acquisitions from other companies, um, you know, what, do you, what do you think that you know, traditional research companies need to be thinking about when it, when it comes to these types of themes and trends that, that are happening quite rapidly in this space? Yeah, that's a good question, Paul. I, you know, I think traditional market research companies have have kind of um, th there's a couple of things that they're dealing with. Number one is this concept of DIY research, right? And how does that fit into their world? Um, you know, do they try to go downstream and sell into another type of buyer for a different price point, or do they focus on um, you know, the up at the high end of the market and being able to provide high end insight, almost consulting type um, services. And, and I think that the firms that start with the, the traditional market research rigor analytics, they have teams of people that can really stitch these data sets together because we all know you know, over the last five years, everybody's been seeing this data explosion. Technology has enabled tons of data. I believe we're at a point now where we now need to figure out what to do with this information. And that's not an engineering person per se. That's not necessarily, you know, your, your pure marketing company. It's people who understand data and, and can figure out 
um, you know, the, the strengths and weaknesses of different data sets and be able to pull it together and provide some insights from, from that information. Um, and I agree with Lexia, this, this notion of the feedback loop is critical. So companies, you know, traditional market research companies that can stitch that entire picture together in terms of, you know, consumers understanding awareness of, of a brand, understanding brand, e brand equity, consideration for purchase, ultimately, what do they buy and how to, and, and what's that shopper journey look like to be able to ultimately understand, you know, was that average, was that marketer really, did they put their dollars in the right place to ultimately drive behavior that they want? Yeah. So though, but, okay. So those owners of that data though, uh, you know, that's, that's gotta be a pretty compelling offering to any either, you know, investment company or any type of larger larger player in this space. Like you think about, you know, really large market research company buying access or buying the companies that have access to that data, you know, where does it leave some other companies you know, that really don't have access to that data? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think, I think it's, it's access or creating the data, right? Like, so there's companies that can create tons of great data and, and they're largely, if you look at their talent pool, it's going to be engineering focused. It's going to be technical. There's, there's that last mile, which is probably the most value-driven mile for um, insights. And that's people who have to put that insight together. And there's an orientation around that. So if you're a large market research company that has access, can license, can you know pull together 10 different data sets and rationalize them, I think that's really where the value is. Um, it doesn't mean you have to create your own data sets and, and say you have to be in every part of the value chain in, the, in this space. In fact, I would argue that you're probably better, you know, being able to access multiple data sets and, and tie them together to provide the insights that brands are looking for. Yeah, fair. Yeah, yeah, Alexia, when you talked about some of the acquisitions and some of the transactions that have happened in this space, and I feel, you know, I, I look at MarTech as kind of an example of where you know, ResTech or research, even market research and analytics space is really going. The idea of getting that full picture view and trying to understand from like the beginning to the end, the effect on like the whole marketing process. Uh, are you, you know, tell me about like, in terms of just the, the, the level of activity that's happening right now, are, you know, would, is, is it happening? Is there a lot of activity happening? Is there a lot of activity that's happening even, you know, adjacent to market research that we're seeing kind of come in and, and kind of maybe tapping into the market research companies and, and that kind of data that they provide? Or, you know, what are you seeing from your side? Yeah, well, even building off Seema's point and, and also to answer your question, I mean, I think that, you know, being end-to-end -end is, is always, you know, in some ways the bigger picture goal, but there are companies that have done a really good job of bringing technology to a space to kind of democratize the access to different data, and that's kind of their goal, right? But data is only ever going to be as good as the insights that can be extracted and executed against, right? And so the, you know, the kind of last mile, what Simo was mentioning, is the folks who have developed um, methodologies to kind of actually input that data and figure out what the use case for it is and how to execute that, that's, those, those companies are actually garnering sometimes higher valuations because it's direct to brand at that point. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's a really interesting part of the equation because it's knowing how to use that data, the responses, the transaction data, whatever it may be, um, knowing what to ask, how to ask and how to, how to leverage that, that is creating so much value for the end user. Um, and there's there's no substitution for real time. That, that's the other thing. You know, the um, the firms that are able to aggregate process 
and identify those trends, they're, they're going to lead because they've used tech for speed. Mm -hmm. um, so I, I think that's one part of it. But for us, from an investment perspective, I think there are certainly firms that, you know, look at data and access to data, and they really have a good perspective and understanding um, of where they think the market is going in terms of, you know, privacy um, and regulatory uh, kind of aspects. I think that people who have a thesis in that and have really have their arms around that feel more comfortable in that space, whereas other folks really look for, you know, we don't want to be the data aggregators. We want to be the users of data to kind of execute. And we want to execute the last mile, either putting the marketing dollars to work or giving you the strategy. Um, and I think investment opportunity is, has been equally acknowledged on both sides of the equation. Um, and, you know, we've represented companies that, that have taken very different approaches. Some that look for that trifecta of, of data, some that are very focused on one data source. And we've seen it work extremely well, but they're also looking to diagnose and address different issues for brands or, or, or whoever their end client may be. It's like, you know, understanding, defining what that is and how your method is gonna address it that I think ultimately becomes, you know, the most important part of, part of any, you know, company's thesis in this space. You know, you talk about uh, the whole real time is still like the, the key thing, uh, which is, you know, taking from what, you know, a lot of the MarTech uh, has been able to deliver. And, uh, and, I'm, I'm, and I'm, you know, curious about both of your perspectives on the idea of how much of the data and the insights that's provided should be, again, more uh, real time, uh, you know, art, almost artificial intelligence driven versus, you know, people actually interpreting the information and providing those insights. Because we're seeing things like SurveyMonkey rebranding as Momentum and having this whole AI angle to it feels very Qualtrics to me, like the whole idea of the experience management aspect of it. You probably saw the, the valuation that Qualtrics had got when it IPO'd and it said, you know, yeah, definitely this is the space to be in. But again, focusing on AI, focusing on this whole idea of artificial intelligence when it comes to that data management, but, you know, interpreting, interpreting that information, even as it is in real time, it's, it's not as easy. It's not as simple. Putting all, stitching all those pieces together, uh, we talked about different data sets. It uh, doesn't seem like it's something as easy as just press a button and let AI figure out what the what the what the solution is. It seems like you know, is there a space for still that traditional insights player in a very data driven, potentially moving towards AI field? I don't know who wants to start. Let's go, Seema. Yeah, I, you know, listen. I think it's occasion based. Just like we talk about consumer occasions, right? When they drink a beverage, like what do you, what beverage are you going to pick for dinner versus what you're going to pick for lunch versus on the go? I think it's occasion based in terms of, you know, how quickly do you need data? If you're in the sales organization that's working with a retailer and you're trying to launch a new item, you want data quickly as possible to, you know, make your case to sell in more SKUs to another retailer. So that quick feedback, you know, and if it's a failure, you want to pull it off the shelf quickly. So you want to minimize your risk. But if you're looking to enter a new market, if you're looking to, um, you know, target a new consumer, that's pretty weighty data. Like that, you need to really think through what is your value proposition? How do you appeal to the, the new market or a new geography? And I don't think you can have that real time. You need to really think through it. And also, your team needs to think through it. You're not just gonna get a set of data and say, okay, here's a decision. This is like, you know, it's a big bet. You're gonna spend some time really understanding and digesting the data. So I, I think it's it's use case driven or occasion-based driven, um, but there's definitely uh, within organizations, um, all these occasions exist. I don't think it's it's one or, it's not binary. Right. 
Yeah, and actually, you know, we had a conversation, I don't know how long ago, it was a few months ago when we had a clubhouse uh, discussion. Uh, we talked to uh, some of the leaders at some Mars, Michelle Gansley and, and Michaela at McDonald's talking about the idea of having those DIY approaches or, or very kind of simple real-time uh, responses to things that would drive easy decisions, but knowing that, you know, marketing could potentially take that on, but insights would take on the bigger, more strategic, longer uh, longer engagements because there was bigger bigger questions to answer. So this it, it did seem like even from that conversation there was a role for both. Yep. Um, but it's you know <clears throat> there's a role for both for now. Um, <laughs> you know as things start going so quickly, I mean you know Alexia, as you're seeing with all these different types of acquisitions, there's definitely some strategies around pairing this information together and gleaning insights much more quickly and without as much human interaction. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's something that you had mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, I think, though, you know, there's always going to be the human element to it. And I think organizations, companies, brands, they're oriented differently and their needs are different and their ability to use data in the way that they execute their their overall sales strategy are different. Right. So it's not a one size fits all and not everything can be DIY because if, if every company had cracked the code of exactly how to do this on their own, it would, you know, it would be on maybe a different planet at that point in a sense. Um, I think um, I think there'll always be a human element, and I think that the brands really the advantage they have now is they have the ability to assess performance from different lenses, in you know on a three hundred sixty degree view, all always on. Um, I think that's the advantage they have. They have access to these tools, these partners, um, and this data that that allow them to kind of you know put these things together. I think um, you know, but the execution element of it, and ultimately you know, translating from data to an insight to execution, there's a lot of human element across that entire process. That's, I don't, I don't think that changes. I just think it's, it's faster and it's maybe more informed by, you know, information underpinning it. Um, and then the, the idea of measuring it. Um, but, but yeah, I, I don't, I don't think you automate th- this entire value chain at any point. All right. I'm holding you to that yeah. <laughs> conversation in the next there. like Three months and we're going to be like, ah, <laughs> okay. Let me, you know, again, I'm going to do play a little uh, prediction game. We okay. Uh, imagine, okay. You know, you're, you're 12 months down the road. Uh, there's just a lot of activity happening and a lot more interest, you know, in our industry than I'd ever seen in the last 11 years. Um, you know, what do you both see happening in the next, let's just say 12 months, you know, is it more M&A amongst the really, really big players? Is there a lot of smaller players who are kind of being, you know, starting and, and maybe being funded? Uh, does the you know, whole business model change? Or are the smaller players just even being left behind and just the bigger players are just surviving? Uh, you know, let's say, Lexi, what do, let's start with you. What do you see kind of happening over the next kind of 12 months in this space? Yeah, I think, I think the small players that have really driven growth and really have prevailed with some of the larger brands um, will continue to prevail. I think the way they've approached the market and the way that they've inserted tech as their DNA, right? They're not changing their DNA. Their DNA started in tech and I think they will prevail. I think some of the larger market research firms still have you know, very large businesses. Um, and I think they will continue to plug tech into them and kind of reevaluate their productization and how they go to market. I think, you know, cancer numerators, just a great, great, fantastic example of that, uh, just as one. Um, so I think, you know, I think there's a great opportunity for the up and comers to continue to gain market share because they are bringing something different um, to, to the table. 
and and their go to market is 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 just you know something new and people are more willing to test and procure in that way. Um, but I think it, there are great strategic acquirers um, that I think have a real need and desire. You know, you mentioned Qualtrics. There are plenty of others, SurveyMonkey, Medallia, that are out there that are very big, successful businesses that will be able to quickly identify who the up-and-comers are that are going to round out their strategy. And they've got the Rolodex to execute it against, which I think is extremely interesting on the experience side um, as well. And, you know, I, I, think, I think the budgets, the budgets are growing. Um, there's more to address. And I think, you know, I, you know, I think the market is, is prime for, for new up-and-comers as well. I, I don't think the fragmentation maybe stays forever. I think there's more roll-up strategies that begin to happen. But, you know, folks that have gone out and coupled up with really good investors, um, you know, I think they're in a great spot. Seema, what do you think? Yeah, I, I mean, I would answer yes to all your questions that you said when you headed off the question. Like, I do think there's going to be more acquisition for sure. I think there, you know, the industry has been around for a long time. There's founders who are kind of looking at the next five years and saying maybe now is a good time to sell, um, you know, given all the change and the rate and pace the industry is moving. I think, you know, we should be celebrating the fact that there is a lot of new capital coming into the space. It's validating our industry, its importance. And, you know, we see it, we see it uh, again uh, towards what Lexia was saying, a lot of new startups that are getting funded and are part of, um, you know, whether you define, depending on how you define the industry, I, I argue it's still the data ecosystem and they're still part of our industry. Um, and I and I think you will see more rollups uh, for sure as companies want to look to expand their product capabilities, their um, geographic expansion. So all in all, I think there's tons of opportunity for um, both strategic acquirers as well as capital partners and founders and exec executive teams. It's it's a it's um, it's exciting times. Uh, you know that you know it kind of reminds me though of when we started 11 years ago this there was at that time a big push towards DIY you know and kind of software just becoming a, a thing and a race to the bottom when it came to pricing because there was no real distinct differentiator between the people who were doing a concept test versus now a software that could actually run it for you you know what I what I see here is you know there might be a lot of new players coming to the market uh, but there's going to they're gonna, there's going to be a need for a lot of differentiation and even those existing players to really you know differentiate themselves to be yeah. more relevant in a space where otherwise it'll just be another race to the bottom and they're going to get squeezed out on pricing and margin and they'll be probably left behind. I, I you know that's I can kind of see that happening uh, happening again. And I do I want to reinforce what Alexia said as well. I do think companies that understand privacy regulatory issues and respect and, and really fundamentally run their companies according to those practices will definitely be even more valuable um, because it's, it's not going away. We're just going to continue down this path of making sure that um, we, you know, protect consumer privacy. Yeah. And I mean, Lexia, you, you probably see a number of different companies that have that as part of their, their structure. I mean, we've invested a lot in just you know, becoming compliant and our SOC 2 and making sure that we're, you know, security and privacy is the forefront of even what we're doing, but it's also an expensive journey. It requires mm -hmm. a lot of capital, a lot of uh, is talent uh, just to even get it. And, and, and a shift in the, almost the corporate culture to understand how much of this is a, is a, it, it is important. And, you know, so, you know, Lexi, do you, 
how much, you know, if you see a company that has all that in place, you know, are you looking at them and being like, yeah, they're in a good, they're in a good spot versus the ones that haven't really given that consideration yet? Absolutely. I mean, even as part of our upfront due diligence process before we would engage or take on an assignment, we're doing that work upfront because we know that the first layer of due diligence is going to, you know, question one is we want to see our opt-in screens. We want to understand exactly what the consumer is aware of and not what happens to their data when they delete the app, what happens to their data when they no longer want to subscribe. I mean, these are preliminary questions that we at times can get pre-NDA stage. Like it can really be that advanced because people are, are very aware that they, they don't want to risk capital and they don't want to risk their organization's own brand on, you know, getting into it. And, you know, there's been a lot of news coverage, you know, you've seen journalists really go after certain brands that have done things or use data in ways that, you know, they, they didn't think were appropriate. And so people are very aware. Um, I think companies that have, you know, been extremely proactive and have, you know, evaluated where their organization is going to play and also put an agile lens on that um, are, are best suited because part of our you know, explanation and diligence always is we have the, the brain power, we've got the agility and the tech to anticipate and also pivot around where things go. We're not overly um, weighted on Google or we're not overly weighted on, on any major tech player or something of that, you know, the app store, this, that, the other thing. There's, there's just got to be the, the proactive thinking against it and positioning because it's, it's very much so a, a key, a key point of due diligence. That's a good point. Uh, you know, it's an exhausting point because I know yeah. like we go through it, but it's a, it's a valid, it's a valid point because there's so much attention being paid to it. But uh, I know, I know firsthand from a, you know, an organizational perspective, it, it is time consuming. It's, it's difficult work, but it's, you know, by, based on what you're saying though, it's necessary just, you know, even just to get a foot in the door, if you're looking at some sort of investment uh, to make sure that you have all those things taken care of. Okay. Last question I have for both of you. And it's just kind of, you know, whatever, you know, no opinions are fine, but uh, let me know what you think. Survey monkey to momentum. We talked about earlier, good name change or bad name change. Seema. I like it. I think uh, I think I read in the press release it exhibits uh, momentum, right? It, and agility, like a, a little bit of speed. Um, I, I felt like if you are in the research space or you've been a practitioner, Survey Monkey, the name doesn't do justice for what it really does. And so I think it this kind of goes away from that. Like it's you know anybody could do it. It's easy to we are a real solution for enterprise. Uh, for enterprises to use and you know we play in these five key pillar areas so i think it's a positive change for them all right alexia uh i agree i think the most positive um piece of, of their of their uh, release of the rebrand was how they explained how they use their own technology to create the rebrand i think that was fabulous marketing there's really no better marketing than saying hey we used it on ourselves and here we are mm -hmm. um so i think they did a great job with that i think yeah, I, I think I think it's a good name. I, I don't have a strong, strong opinion, but but you know anything with you know in the moment momentum, I, it invokes the right thought process. All right, but you know I guarantee like you know five years from now we're still gonna be calling it Survey Monkey and yeah. you know I'm trying to be like is it called momentum, momentum, and yeah. moment in moment something. So I don't, yeah. I'm on the fence about the name change. I think I agree. It's a good name change to kind of give it some more legitimacy in a space that's really about that experience management. And to your point, you you know using their own tools to come up, to develop that identity, it's fantastic. Uh, but as memorable and as playful, 
I don't know. I, I, I obviously they're making a shift. And so we'll see what happens and how it nets out. Thank you both so much for joining me today. Lexia, Seema, amazing, you know, great discussion. Some of the important trends that are currently happening and honestly, just some really valuable information that we all need to be aware of. So thank you both so much. Thank you. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Dig In. If you want more information about Dig Insights or Upside, please check us out on LinkedIn or at our websites at diginsights.com or upside.com. If you have any ideas for future episodes or would like to be a guest, please feel free to direct message me through the LinkedIn app.